Jesus, power, sin. Next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. You'll hear Pastor Steve Converse refer to him as credentials, Jesus' credentials, the miracles recorded for us here in Matthew chapter 8 and moving forward. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We're taking a look at the power Jesus has over sin and disease. We would invite you to join us here in Matthew chapter 8 as we take a look at this power, bringing real encouragement towards us. With much ground to cover, let's get started. Here's Pastor Steve with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. begin this new kind of section in Matthew, chapters 8 through 12 are probably some of the most critical chapters to understand in the Gospel of Matthew if you're going to understand um, the message of Christ. They're very uh, foundational to understand what's going on in this Gospel. And in this section, uh, Matthew records nine of the many miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth to show his... uh, deity power, his divine power. And so those miracles, you might say, are kind of his credentials to back up who he said he was. And uh, the sad part here is we read through Matthew chapter 8, and I I would encourage you in the coming weeks to read Matthew 8 through 12 and get the whole context of it. But in, in chapters 8 and 9, after these miracles take place, the sad part is the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders, basically conclude in chapter 12 that Jesus is of the devil. <laughs> and that's their conclusion. And Matthew basically shows us that Christ did everything he could possible to manifest his deity to these religious leaders of his day. And yet they just kind of turned their back on it. And as a result of that, we see in Matthew chapter 13, the beginning of the Gentile church. He realized that the Jewish leaders of the day were not going to accept the message, so he began to start the church as a a broader entity. Chapter 8 really begins with, you might call it a triad of miracles. There's three miracles that we'll be looking at this week and next week. This week we're just going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. But there's three miracles in chapter 8, and it's kind of a, uh, a triad, a first triad of, of these sets of miracles. And it seems that what Jesus does is he performs these miracles, and then he gives some teaching, and then you have the response of the people. And uh, that's just kind of the, the pattern that's laid down here. But there were to be credentials, there were to be proof that he was divine, that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. And so this first section here in in Matthew chapter 8 of these divine miracles, we have to understand that basically it's it's leaving off where chapter 4 and chapter 5 left off. It's picking up where they left off. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4 and just look at this uh, text with me in verse 23 of Matthew 4, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of diseases, sicknesses, among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and he brought, they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And it says in verse 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee, 
and from Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And then look at what it says, very interesting, in the beginning of chapter 5. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And then we went through 5, 6, and 7. And it was a Sermon on the Mount. And he taught the Beatitudes and all, all, the, all the richness we got out of that. Well, now we're back to basically earth, you might say, because in chapter 8, verse 1, it says he comes down from the mountain. So he's healing people before his sermon. He's healing people after his sermon. And we're right here at the point after his sermon where he begins to heal people once again. Now, remember what he taught while he was up on the mountain. It was not necessarily a popular message. He basically took the religious leaders and their beliefs of the day, and he turned them upside down. Over and over again, we hear Jesus saying, you have heard it said, he tells his religious leaders that he's, he's, he's sharing with, but I say unto you. And so what he's saying is, look, you're doing it this way, you got it all wrong, I'm going to set you straight. That's basically what he's saying. And that's kind of what the Word of God does. It's, 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 it's a standard by where we're to be made straight. I was, had the opportunity to go listen to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah on Friday at a pastor's breakfast, and he said, you know, there's two responsibility the pastor has when he's kind of giving out the Word of God. First of all, it's to use the Word of God to comfort the afflicted. That's what we're encouraged to do. But he said, on the other hand, we're also to take the Word of God and we're to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and that's so true. And sometimes we see on the Sermon of the Mount, these people were afflicted by, by Christ's words. They weren't always comforted. And Jesus never, like the other rabbis of his day, he never went and, and kind of consoled with somebody and said, okay, next part of the sermon, what do you think would go good here? What should I use here? What, what should I say here? He never did that. See, the rabbis of Jesus' day, that's all they had was their tradition, their oral tradition. And so when they would do a teaching, they would basically look at what everybody else taught and they would get up and teach what everybody else taught them to teach. Well, Jesus didn't do that. And we know that because at the end of chapter 7, look at what it says in verse 28. It says, when he ended all these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. In other words, his teaching blew their minds. They couldn't contain themselves. It just blew them away. And then he says, why? In verse 29, he says, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the other scribes. So he was a different brand of teacher. All the other teachers would come and kind of say what you wanted to hear and make you feel comfortable and cozy, but Jesus didn't do that. He came along and he shared the truth with people, and sometimes the truth hurts. Well, if you were a religious leader in the day of Jesus, you would have some very pointed questions. Because basically your whole religious life was turned upside down. Everything you believed in, everything you thought to be true, Jesus, in one sermon, blew it out of the water. And so you probably would think there, sit there and say, well, you know, who is this guy that he's saying these things? By what authority does this man speak? He's speaking as one I've never heard before. Why should we believe him and not our teachers? Well, we come to chapter 8 and chapter 9, and that answers that question. Jesus knew they were answering, asking those questions. And so he said, okay, I'm coming down off the mountain. They're going to need some evidence that what I say is true. They're going to need some evidence that I am who I said I am. And so he begins to heal people once again in a, in a miraculous way, in a way that only 
the power of God could do it. Well, there's four things right off the bat before we even get into our text that we see here about Jesus as he's healing these different individuals throughout chapters 8 and 9. There's four things that I want you to see. First of all, he begins at the lowest level of human need. The lowest level of human need. Now, I know that life consists of a lot more things than just physical needs. But you know what? That's kind of our lowest level right there. You know, when, when your big toe hurts or your thumb hurts or you got a sore throat or your body aches or you're sick, it kind of, it just affects everything you do, every way, every, every, the, the way you think, everything. And Jesus started at this lowest level of human need. He treated people with physical problems. It's neat to know that Jesus' ministry didn't just dwell on the spiritual things. He was also concerned about people's physical needs. And we see in this first set of miracles, he confronts human disease. In the second set, we're going to see that he confronts more spiritual problems, demon possession and other things. But in this first set, he confronts human disease, human ailments, physical problems. And it shows, really, that he was sympathetic toward the people that he was talking to. Secondly, I see here that he was compassionate when he responded to their appeals. He was compassionate. In each case, in these three miracles that we see here, this first set in chapter 8, in the first miracle, you see the leper coming and saying, Lord, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In the second miracle, Jesus agreed to heal the centurion's servant, saying, well, I will come, and I will heal him. In the third one, basically, if you look at the parallel passage over in Luke, you see that friends of Peter's family requested Jesus to come and to heal Peter's mother-in-law. And he did. In all three cases, we see our Lord responding to the appeals of the hearts of the people. I mean, he could have just said, tough luck. I don't have time for this. But he didn't. He was compassionate. Third thing we see is that he acts on his own will. Although Jesus is compassionate and he's sympathetic, we have to also understand that he is sovereign. We serve a sovereign God. And in each case, in each one of these healings, he acted on his own volition. In each one, in verse 3, it says, I will be clean. In verse 7, it says, I will come and heal. In verse 15, it says, he came out and he touched her hand and the fever left her. Each time, Jesus is acting on his own will. Nobody's telling him to do anything. The fourth thing we see, is we kind of introduce this chapter in these healings is that he graciously approaches the lowest in society. He does so graciously. In each of these miracles, Jesus touched someone who was really considered to be the lowest of the low. The first one, a leper. We're going to look at that this morning. And hopefully when you leave here, you'll understand a little more accurately how low a leper was on the social class of Jesus' day. He was way down there. Secondly, he dealt with a Gentile, Roman soldier. And then thirdly, he dealt with a woman who was also down there. Now, I know it's not that way today, ladies, so I'm not saying that. But back in that day, the, the women were down there in the social class. That's just the way it was. But see, our Lord didn't care about that. And see, he interacted with such individuals in such a way that when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, looked at Jesus dealing with these people, it blew their mind. They, they stepped back and said, what is he doing? 
He's dealing with a leper. He's dealing with a Gentile. He's dealing with a woman. Jesus always put his emphasis on the humble, and he always put his emphasis on those who were outcast, it seems. In fact, the first person that Jesus ever revealed his Messiahship to was a harlot in Samaria who wasn't even Jewish. And that was a shock to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. From the very start, Jesus made it clear that he was going to establish his authority by using some miraculous power. The unfortunate thing is, the religious leaders of the day saw everything that everybody else saw. They saw the miracles take place. They saw all this stuff happening. And yet they still concluded, they turned their backs on him. And at the end of chapter 12, it says that basically they concluded on their own that, well, this man, he's doing these miracles, but he's doing them by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He's not doing them by the power of God. How sad. They hated him so much, they sought to kill him, the Bible says. Because he upset the religious security so much. They refused to accept his display of abundant divine power. I mean, you stop and think what Jesus did. He cleansed a leper. He healed a servant. He raised up a woman. He controlled the sea. He cast out demons. He made the blind to see, the, the crippled to walk, the dumb to speak. He healed every kind of sickness that literally was brought to him on the spot. And yet, in the flow of all this, we see basically that the religious leaders of Jesus' day said, eh, he's doing it by some other power. It can't be by the power of God. Well, let's look at our text for this morning. Now that we've kind of set the groundwork, we know where we're at, we're coming down from the mountain. We've just heard the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. We see this first poor soul, this wretched man, this man who has leprosy. The first thing I see here in verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. See, there was a certain attractiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. People were just attracted to him for a variety of reasons. But they were attracted to him. And as a matter of fact, it says great multitudes followed him. Now, history tells us that basically he came down from the mountain near probably the village of Capernaum after he'd finished preaching his sermon. And all these people continued to follow him. Not because they loved him, not because they believed necessarily that he was the son of God. I'm, I'm sure some of them did, but probably most of them didn't. They just wanted to see, man, what's this guy going to do next? What incredible thing is he going to do next? Who's he going to heal next? What's going to happen next? And so you have this huge crowd following the Lord Jesus as he comes down off the mountain and he starts to perform these miracles. And they, they knew this was going to happen. That's why they were, they, were, they were there. They never heard anybody speak like him before. And now he's going to show them some evidence of who he is. Well, it says there, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes follow him. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came or approached is the, the literal reading of that. A leper approached him. 
Now, what's unusual about this scene, you have to understand, in that day, the disease of leprosy was one that you know, required them, as we're going to see, to stay away from people. You know, you, you would not go to a crowd of people if you had leprosy. You were ostracized. They actually had camps where lepers would live outside the city. You were totally ostracized from all contact with anybody, unless the other person had leprosy. But this word leper is, is really, in the original language, it has the idea of scale, like a scale on your skin. And it was really used in the Bible to describe a variety of skin diseases. It wasn't just the leprosy that we know today as Hansen's disease. I'm sure that was then, back there, they had that. That was probably the leprosy that this man had, from what we can tell. But we're not for sure. And so all we know is we can look at modern-day leprosy and say, well, this must have been something what it was like, because as diseases kind of formulate and different pathologies happen over years, you know, they take on different, uh, d different uh, effects and things on the human body. But when we look at modern-day leprosy, we can kind of get an idea of what this individual who had leprosy was dealing with. But it was a horrible disease, either way. And it was probably contracted by them, by their children, when they were in Egypt, some people believe. And so they brought it back into the Promised Land. And as a result of that, God gave them, and you can read this on your own, Leviticus chapter 13, strict laws concerning leprosy. Because it could, it could, you know, devastate a whole nation if you let it. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that he gave all these laws in, in Leviticus 13 and 14 on how to deal with somebody who is a leper, how to identify leprosy, all these things. But you have to understand the modern-day leprosy that we have today, only 10% of the people in the world today can actually even contract leprosy, the Hansen's disease that they know it today. So 90% of people are, you know, they're not going to get it whether around a leper or not. Now, that may have been more so in Jesus' day because in Luke 4, 27, uh, Dr. Luke says, basically Jesus said that many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha, and it goes on. So obviously it was a widespread problem. And he gave all these instructions God did on how to identify it and everything in Leviticus 13. And so a person who had this kind of leprosy was instructed and it says in Leviticus 13, verse 45, it says this, As for a leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, as you go throughout your daily routine. And there's some modern-day medical studies that say that certain types of leprosy, the more serious kinds, can actually be communicated to someone through the air or through even touching some things. So it was, it was kind of important to understand that because God's word says from the very beginning, hey, you know what, if you have this, you need to cover your mouth. Because it could be, they even had laws in the, the Jewish religious belief system that if you had leprosy, um, you know, you were not to come any closer than six feet to someone. So if you were a Jew, you were never to go closer than six feet to someone who had leprosy. That was on a calm day. If it was a windy day, it was 150 feet. Sounds silly, but you know what? If it can be communicated through the, the, through the air, that makes sense. And certain Jews even considered lepers to be dead men, walking dead men. They had no respect. They were at the bottom of the bottom of society. 
And so you have to put yourself into that situation. And the disease itself is a horrible disease. The modern, um, basically the skin becomes a very kind of hard, shiny, open sores can develop. And I don't want to gross you off, out, but basically fingers end up falling off and your, your, your face begins to kind of look like, they say like a lion. It, it just gets all bunched up. The skin gets bunched up and wrinkly. It's a horrible disease, very disfiguring. There's even an odor that goes along with someone who's a leper because of the open sores that you're dealing with. It's a disgusting disease. Now, today, we can control that disease with medicine, okay? But it can't be cured. It can be controlled. So it's kind of an interesting uh, disease when you look at it. And you can go on the Internet and look at all the gross pictures and everything. But, it, you know, it is. It's disgusting. And so you can imagine back then when they didn't have the treatment they have today, to have this disease it definitely made you an outcast in society. Well, when they isolated these lepers, they didn't want other people to contact the disease and everything, and so they were very ostracized from society. And when you look at leprosy, you can actually even look at leprosy in a way that it's an it's a illustration of sin. It's a, it's a physically, physical walking illustration of sin because Leprosy is an ugly, incurable, contaminating disease that separates an individual from the rest of society. And you stop and you think, what's sin do? <laughs> sin is an ugly, incurable, contaminating situation that separates man from God and makes him outcast in his presence. And so it's very clear that in Jesus' day, they had this horrible disease. And you see that this leper, it says in, in verse 2, he came and he approached Jesus, just totally uncalled for. Well, I want to look at this leper first, and I want to look at four things concerning the leper. The first thing is when it says that he approached, it, I really see here that the leper had a certain confidence. He had a confidence. It wasn't a self-confidence. It wasn't a self-confidence. And you, you say, well, how do you know he had confidence? Well, he must have because he was a leper. He's supposed to be out, being outcast from everybody, being totally separated from any. And if he did come into a group of people, he's supposed to be going, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm here, get away. Six feet, windy day, 150 feet, just to let you know. This guy didn't do any of that. He didn't crawl up behind a bush and kind of, Jesus, I'm over here. I got leprosy. I want you to heal me. He didn't do that. Now, I mean, if you picture this, these horror crowds of people Hordes of people around Christ pressing up against him. You know, what's, what miracles he's going to do next? All of a sudden, this leper's in his face. And see, in those societies, they knew who the lepers were. They dressed a certain way. They had to, according to the law. They had their, their, their hair a certain way, their head a certain way. They wore certain clothes. And you would know just by the smell a lot of times if someone was a leper. This guy, all of a sudden, is standing face to face with Christ. And all these people are surrounding him. Can you imagine what's happening? This crowd couldn't get back quick enough. They're probably, hey, dude, you know, six feet. Come on. What are you, what are you thinking? That's a windy day, 150 feet. They're backing up even more. This guy had confidence that Christ could do something about his situation. Because normally people in this condition would be so socially devastated, they would never show up in a crowd. They lost all sense of, I mean, any kind of a self-esteem. This guy, basically, he lost all sense of shame. He lost all sense of social stigma. 
And he said, you know what? My need is so great, I don't care what people think. I don't care what's gonna happen if I show up in a group. I don't care anymore. I'm gonna get my situation dealt with. And I know there's only one person that can deal with it. So he came in confidence. And with that, we come to the end of our time today here on Graceful Truth. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, 650-366-9923, or visit us online at gracefultruth.org. And as we close out our time together, back to Pastor Steve once again for a special announcement. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 2nd, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author Cynthia Heald for our Fall Women's Conference. All the registration information can be found on our church website at www.gracebibleonline.org. Once again, that's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available, so you can simply download it, print it out, fill it out, and mail it to the address indicated. Or you can simply give us a call here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Once again, the number is 650-366-9923. We hope to see you in October. Thank you, Steve. And until next week at the same time, may the Lord richly bless you as you seek Christ and His graceful truth. (laughs) 